Human Vortex Training and Menachem Brody present the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast, where we talk strength training, physiology, psychology, tech, and much more to help you get fitter, faster, and stronger in and out of your sport, giving you expert insights, talking with other leading experts. And now, your host, world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 58 of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast. I'm your host, Menachem Brody, and today we're going to talk about is body weight or suspension training or Pilates or yoga considered strength training for cyclists and triathletes? I can already feel my inbox filling up with emails. So let me give you the email up front here so you can send me your questions, thoughts, or angry outrages at what I have to say. Brody, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E at humanvortextraining.com. Once again, B as in boy, R-O-D as in dog, I-E at humanvortextraining.com. I'm only half kidding with giving you my email up front. I really do mean that this conversation we're about to have Uh, The thoughts I'm about to share with you have left a few coaches a little ruffled under their feathers. And those of you who know me and have had disagreements with me know I'm very easygoing. So it's kind of hard to get that worked up over me. But uh, what that is, is uh, these are coaches or athletes who have seen benefits from body weight or suspension training like TRX or yoga or Pilates, and they feel... Um, uh, an inner value has been broken or something that they've known to be true through personal experience has been broken. But hear me out. Listen all the way through to the end because we're going to smash some uh, paradigms out there and help you to open up the perspective of what strength training is versus general physical preparation and body awareness. And these are two very different things. Now, nowadays we have lots and lots of catchphrases and hot hot phrases, whatever you want to call them. I don't even know anymore. I don't even pay attention. Uh, But uh, essentially, as you can hear, the verbal pause, because I don't even know where to go with that, right? It is, we're talking about the key phrases, uh, functional training or whatever's fresh and hip. I don't even know anymore what the kids call them these days. But we have a problem in triathlon and cycling training in that there are a number of different approaches out there and all of them can work. So while the first episode of this podcast is entitled It Depends and you have heard throughout this podcast series from the beginning to the end, it depends, it depends, it depends, I will tell you today up front the answer is are these two considered strength training? The answer is no. They are considered body weight or calisthenic, you could say, but they are not strength training. Yes, TRX is hard as crap sometimes, especially having to have the coordination and the balance to be able to do knee tucks, slaloms, or push-ups with the hands and the TRX. However, they're not strength training. In order to strength train, you actually need a heavier-than-the-body resistance. And we're going to get into the whys here today. Now, if you're looking for a podcast that's going to rattle off all of the research articles that support, not going to be this one. Why? Well, let's say the first three and a half years or so of my coaching career as a cycling and triathlon coach, I went by the numbers. Show me the science and I will do it. Thankfully, I had some really good mentors who know what they're talking about and have many, many decades of experience. And they said, well, let's look at this and think about how do we get to see these research done? 
Like, how do we get there? Well, first, they've got to have a hypothesis. Where do they get the hypotheses? Usually from looking at what the best coaches in the world are doing, those who are actually doing and getting results. Then the researcher says, hey, that's a good question. I'm going to take it to the internal review board and make sure that I can do this as my research because it's interesting to me, usually because they're a cyclist or triathlete themselves. Then it goes through the IRB. Then they have to get approved for human studies, depending on what's going on. And then they have to come up with the funding if they aren't already funded. And sometimes the person who is funding or the product who is funding, uh, such as Gatorade, uh, and I'm not saying that in a negative way because the Gatorade Sports Science Institute has done a lot to help us learn more about human performance, but there's always going to be some type of bias depending on where the money is coming from. Once they do that, now they have to get research participants. Usually these are college-aged males. If you've listened to any of our previous podcasts where we talk about women-specific needs, I go into this with a little bit of uh, open mind, but honestly, at this point, I'm kind of like, man, that really teed me off because that allowed me, looking for the research and show me the numbers, I completely failed my first three female endurance athletes, my cyclist and my triathlete. Yep, failed them. I put it out there. Why? Because our path to success is measurable progress in reasonable time. Thankfully, I managed to realize that I had made a mistake with them and started coaching them for the individuals instead of, well, three on, one off. This is the periodization that everybody should follow. We're not going to get into that today because today we're going to talk about suspension or body weight being, yeah, some type of body weight training, and it's maybe you can consider it calisthenics, possibly, and they certainly have a training value, but any cyclist or triathlete who comes to you, or if you are one that says that TRX or suspension or body weight training is strength training, it isn't really there. And I say that myself having put out a 60-day body weight home workout program, both for cyclists and another for triathletes here in April and May of this year during Corona, when a lot of people were messaging me saying, hey, I don't have any week, I don't have any time this week to go to the gym. And then the gyms were closed, right? So even if they were one of the crazy people who want to go to the gym, I don't have any time because I'm so busy trying to work from home and the kids and this and that. <sighs> Goose fraba. Goose fraba. Center it. We can open up the discussion here in just a second about suspension or body weight training. Did you catch all that? We went through a lot of stuff, kind of jumped from thought to thought there. But here's the summary. Number one, suspension or body weight training is not strength training. It is certainly some type of resistance training. We can consider it that because as you'll hear, there are a number of variables that we can play with. However, it's not strength training. On the second side, we talked about already, it's only six and a half minutes in, seven minutes in, this is impressive. We talked about how the research, if you're waiting for the research to come out, where is the money coming from that sponsored it? Who is publishing it? And how long ago did they come up with a hypothesis and who are they looking at to figure that out? So uh, I like to tell people, if you're following the research, you are and waiting for it to come out, really, in order for it to be peer-reviewed, which is really important because there's a lot of research out there now which is not peer-reviewed, which is not reliable, is how long does it take for the researcher to get the idea, the hypothesis, to get it cleared and go through all these steps and then to actually finally publish it 
How long has it been? Usually it's between two and five years, depending on the extent of the study, how tough the IRB is. And as we heard with Dr. Stephen Chung, uh, sometimes it can be pretty simple, even though you're having people shiver for 24 hours. I would not sign up for that one. Doesn't matter how much you'd pay me as a college guy. Okay, maybe 500 bucks I would have done that. Uh, but that would be one hell of an experience going out for beers after that with me. Got to find the dollar beer night if they have them anymore. So if you're following the research, as I did, you're easily five to 10 years behind what the best coaches in the fields are doing. So yes, I pay attention to research. Some people have written in and saying, where's the research? And occasionally, this is kind of really cool, and I really respect these people a lot. Uh, I'll get an email a year or two later, literally, almost to the day. It happened three times. And they'll say, you know what? A uh, research article came, and what you were talking about was actually what they found. And then my response is, and they'll say, they'll say you were right. I'll say, no, I wasn't right. I was possibly right. This is just a small study of 27 people. Where are the females? Where are the 47-year-olds instead of the 27-year-olds? Let's continue to ask that question and see what we can find. That's what we're here on the podcast. That's why you're here. And uh, just keep that in mind as we go through today. So who knows? Maybe in five years, 10 years, one of you will email me and say, bro, do you remember episode 58? Totally wrong, man. It is strength training. Here's the proof. Here's what we found. Here's what we know. This is fantastic. This is not black or white. However, when we're talking about cyclists and triathletes and training for performance or for improving their bodies and being able to handle the rigors of their sport, TRX, suspension training, and bodyweight training serve their purpose. They certainly have a role, general physical preparation, allowing us to better refine the movement awareness and the movements of the body. I wouldn't call it functional training because function depends on what are you trying to do with it, as well as the type of athlete you have in front of you. For a power athlete, and when I say power, we're talking about power lifters, we're talking about basketball players, volleyball players, those who have an explosive power in their sport, and some cyclists, it's not going to serve that role. There's certainly some we can do when we're looking at the teams that I coach for the developmental uh, basketball programs here. When I'm working with the 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, and even 10th graders, yeah, we absolutely use body weight and even some suspension training. However, once we get to 16, 17, 18, where those uh, kids have had the hormonal changes, they're starting to develop more muscle, increase bone density and bone length, we are going to try and find some type of resistance. Now, most of the time with these teams, it's going to be bands because that's what I can carry in my bag. But other times, it may actually be a couple dumbbells or using the weight room that the team has available for us. Now let's get into the why and how we would use the body weight or suspension trainers for cyclists and triathletes. Now I'm going to use my own programs here as an example because I know them best. I put them together. I understand uh, how we're looking to kind of uh, move the athlete along through the progress and the why behind it. So it's not that other programs are bad or awful or anything like that. I just know these programs well because I've been through the deep thought process of planning and programming. And if you've heard me on a couple of the other podcasts, I've mentioned there are there are people out there, cycling coaches, triathlon coaches, basketball coaches, volleyball coaches who are giving quote unquote strength training programs to their athletes who have really no right to. And I really do mean no right. Now, it's not a matter of they're trying to do harm, and let's make that clear, and this is putting my flag in the ground, and some of you may not like this, and that's okay. Let's have a conversation over it, but in short, it just comes down to it's just like somebody who rides the bike at the gym recreationally. They ride the Airdyne, or they've been on Peloton for a while, coming and telling one of your athletes that they know how to coach them to get them better results because it worked for them. 
Yeah, there's some information that they're going to have that's that's good. There's almost nobody in the world you're ever going to talk with and not learn something from if you're not open to it. And that's really a key. And I think we've kind of lost that today a little bit. And when I say that they have no right to give their athletes strength training programs, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't try things on their own. Certainly try stuff. But to give a program to an athlete and say, here's a strength training for cycling program that's going to help you, but you have no training in the background beyond reading two or three books, you don't, and it doesn't mean that you need a certification. Let's make that clear as well. It's not a matter of me being like, oh, you need to have my certification and you need to blah, blah, blah. That's not what it's about. It's not about certifications. It's about knowledge and experience. We all go through beginner stages as coaches. I did, you did, Mary did, John did, Tom, Dick, and Harry did, but the difference is, is that when we started that path, we entered it with the idea of this is something I really enjoy and I'd like to learn a lot more and to help more people. And again, I'm going to repeat, these coaches are not going out of their way to hurt people. They're not. They don't mean harm. However, because they don't know what they don't know, these programs can be dangerous. For example, telling an athlete, <laughs> telling an athlete to go squat for four sets of 10 and then to deadlift for four sets of eight is putting them at an immense high level of risk, especially as a cyclist. And I have seen a number of programs like this where it's three sets of 10 squats, heavy, mind you, and then three sets of 12 or eight or four sets of five deadlifts, heavy. These are coaches who clearly don't have an understanding of the forces of the body, how the muscles work together. It's not just a hamstring or glute exercise or a quadricep exercise. Things work together and your core has to work immensely so in squats and deadlifts. So much so that the powerlifters <laughs> that are trying to get better and improve generally don't train anything above 30% in one of those lifts when they're training the other lift. So if they're doing heavy deadlifts, they're going to do maybe two sets of 10 you know, barbell back squats for warm up for two sets of 10 at 30% of their estimated one rep max. Now, keep in mind one, these are power lifters. They are moving heavy things probably four to six days a week. They have the tissue responses and they're only doing, and usually you're not even going to find that. If they're going to do some type of, of squat, it would be like, you know, one of the guys I train can barbell back squat. Uh, I think he's doing 300. 280 kilos, maybe. It's kilos, not pounds, kilos. A different athlete, not a cyclist. He can do a he can do a, a warm-up barbell back squat with 100 kilos, and it feels like nothing to him because it's 40% of his estimated one rep max. And even he, we have not tested his one rep max because it doesn't serve his sport. So we're going based off of estimation, based off of, guess what? 5RM! This is a very strong athlete in a weight classified sport who we're not doing 1RMs because we don't need to. And this is where the suspension or bodyweight training, uh, you're going to begin to really understand why it doesn't count as strength training. When we're working with an athlete like the one I'm mentioning, so they're in a weight classification and they have to stay within the weight classification, they can't go above, they can't go below, we don't need to test their, their 1RM because we're looking for performance-oriented results. Now, Many of you listening are probably not racers. You're not a competitive triathlete. You do it for fun. You're not a competitive racer or you're competitive at cat two or three, but you enjoy the racing as a more of a test for your fitness or because you enjoy uh, being able to put your training out of your mind and just go do, or nowadays, Zwift racing. All of these things are totally cool. And I'm not saying that you should only do this if you're a racer. In fact, 
those of you who are quote unquote average, and I put myself in this, you know, if I sign up for a race, I don't have an expectation of podiuming, not because I didn't put the training in, but because that's not my desired outcome. I'm focused on the process of what do I become in the process of actually going through and training for this. Now, as you're going through and you're starting to think about, okay, I want to get stronger. Is adding weight to the bar actually going to help you? Probably not. Is how you're moving the weight going to help you? Most definitely. What type of strength are you trying to elicit? Now, this is where body weight and suspension training are heavily limited. Their way of stimulating change in the body is primarily metabolic. That's the way you can grow muscle there. This is one of the reasons why you look at people who are doing calisthenics or body weight training. They can get pretty, pretty big within reason, but it's a pure body weight or bodybuilder approach. So they're doing calisthenics, they're doing gymnastics, uh, they're doing body weight pull-ups, they're doing L-sit pull-ups, all the stuff where they're getting these metabolic, the burn, and then they keep going. It starts to burn, they get an extra rep or two, they drop off, wait for the burn to go away, then they start again, they keep going. They're doing sets of three, then they're doing sets of two, then they're doing sets of one. You can certainly see muscle growth and size when you're going that way. That's not the point of strength training or resistance training for cycling or triathlon. What we're looking for out of this is to improve the overall organism's ability to fire appropriately, to provide proximal stiffness for distal motion, as well as allowing you to be able to go through and see increases in your strength, in your strength for different areas of the body that tend to be neglected in our sport. This is the number one thing that separates strength training from these other types of training, just you know, general body weight movement or calisthenics. We're going to see an increase in the neural drive. We're going to see an increase in the firing of the nervous system, right? You're going to fire really tough, really hard, so you're going to recruit more of the motor units and able to do this. You can do this with true plyometrics, and true plyometrics involves an amortization phase. An amortization phase is where you actually absorb and push out the energy of the ground very quickly. That's a very rough translation, and some of you who are more scientific out there and other exercise scientists will say, well, that was not actually correct, but that's the, the short of it. You're using free spring energy. You're not staying on the ground for a long period of time. Now, you can train through this. Most cyclists are absolutely awful. They look like snails trying to jump off the ground one after the other. And I've seen this thousands of times now with the programs that I've put out when we do any type of uh, repetitive jump, like bounds or uh, hands on hips, vertical jumps repeated or uh, vertical jumps or prisoner jumps. We see it. You just absorb the force and then it's all muscle because you haven't built the tissue qualities necessary to be able to have that free spring energy. Can you get this with true plyometrics? Yes, but that needs to be bounding or multiple jumps. So a box jump is not actually a plyometric because you are jumping, you're putting force down and then you're absorbing it and then you're stepping back down. Now, if you're doing the box jump where you're jumping up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, number one, yeah, that's plyometric. Number two, that's a highly advanced plyometric. And so, number three, as a cyclist or triathlete, now granted, triathletes run, but most of them were a majority of them, or let's refine that even more, a large portion of triathletes don't have the tissue qualities necessary to be a springy runner. They get off the bike and they slog and they look like they're being absorbed into a hot laffy taffy every time their leg hits the ground, their foot hits the ground. So that jump where you're jumping up and down off the box and getting true plyometrics is very high level. That takes a number of years to build up to with the 
high school basketball players I'm working with. Now, I tend to be more conservative with this. I don't give a lot of super high-intensity stuff because of the amount of hours they're already playing. So if someone were to come to me in an ideal world where they're training enough that they're going to get the needed or necessary training stimulus to get the results that we're after, yeah, we might get to that type of box jump where you're going up, down, up, down, up, down after, let's say, 12 to 18 months. That's fast. But we're not going to do it for the amounts that many cyclists and triathletes are doing, where they're doing sets of 30, 40, 50, 60. That's how you blow out an Achilles tendon. (laughs) Um, Or develop plantar fasciitis. I've heard that numerous times in the triathlon community. Now, I know this sounds like I'm going off topic from suspension or bodyweight training, but this all relates. Think about the type of stresses that you're placing on the tissues and the muscles as you're going through those types of movements. That plyometric movement is going to involve the fascia, the tendons of the body, the arches, all of them, of the bottom of the foot, as well as all of the muscles of the lower leg needing to fire together quickly and be able to explode or be able to return that spring energy quickly in order to be able to perform that movement properly. That is a training property you're only going to get out of plyometrics. And this is one of the reasons why small or low-level, low-hanging plyometrics such as jump rope are included in some of my programs for triathletes. We'll do a quick product plug. Of course, this is going to be for the Strength Training for Triathlon Performance Program. Now, what surprises most people is that the jump rope is like sets of 10. And people, I see videos all the time of people upload of, well, it said 10, but I did 100 because it felt too easy. No, no, no. That's not how it works. Doing more is not going to help you because now you've just gotten rid of the tissue quality that we're looking for. This is what happens with body weight or suspension training. The tissue qualities are not just of the muscle and connective tissue that we're looking for and the fascia. We need to build denser bones and the bones are built through an electrical process uh, throughout the body where when that force is put down, there is an electrical impulse essentially that goes through these bones, which pulls calcium out and begins to reinforce it. So there's osteoblasts which come out and build the muscle, uh, rather, excuse me, build the tissue, allowing the muscles to get stronger as well as the bones to have a better structure. However, as cyclists, there's a number of cyclists that we've heard of, professional cyclists in their mid to late 20s, who have the bone density of a 60-something-year-old uh, female, postmenopausal female. This is one of the reasons why a lot of cyclists break their hips or break bones when they fall off the bike in crashes that don't look that awful. Now, I'm not talking about collarbones necessarily, although that is another bone that tends to be bro- the most broken with uh, cyclists because of how we fall. However, I'm talking about lower leg bones, hip bones, femurs, fibulas, tibias, things of that nature. These need to be put under a force beyond jumping in order to be able to see that electrical impulse strong enough to pull the osteoblast and to create that electrical uh, atmosphere, so to speak, so that the, or stressors rather, so that the calcium is pulled and that the bones are changed and adapted positively. Again, those of you who are exercise physiologists and exercise scientists, I know that is not the most beautifully spoken way to explain it, but it does the trick in a pinch. If you'd like to learn more about it, there was a research paper, I believe it was 2018 or 2019, that actually showed that the bone uh, formation is done through electrical uh, movements in the body. And there's a bunch of new stuff coming out now with if you break a bone, should we apply force? How do we do it? How do we compensate with the tissues? Should the casts be different so that you're able to have some forces put in through the bone? There's all this cool stuff coming out. But just know that that's the ugly way to explain it. Okay. Now, so we've spoken about the tissue qualities. 
we've talked about how some coaches are giving strength training programs that shouldn't. It's like the person, the guy who's been doing Peloton for three months trying to tell you as a, a road cyclist, hey, I can coach you. Come, let me show you how to do this because I follow this training plan on Peloton and I know what I'm talking about now. And I don't mean that as an insult because we don't know what we don't know, but we need to be smart enough as coaches to say, hey, you know what? I've read one or two books. I've dabbled a little bit myself. And by the way, this is one of the feedback I've been getting from the founders programs. There's an overwhelming number of coaches in there, which is extremely exciting for me because that means they're, well, number one, they're thinking of experiencing new things and trying new things to see what's out there and to bring that to you, their athlete, which is super amazing. Very different than the way it was when I was beginning as a coach, where I was very close-minded. This is what I learned in school. This is how we do it. So be excited that there's a lot. Number two is a lot of these coaches, uh, are finding that the program looked deceptively simple. When I went through and it was incredibly effective and I was floored because I expected to need heavy weights and this and that. And here were six to eight exercises ordered specifically. And by the time I finished each set or each, uh, yeah, each set of the exercise, I felt so much better and I wanted to do another one, but you had told me don't do that. So I just moved on to the next one and I've seen great progress. I can now feel the difference on the bike but I don't know how to describe it. And that's the challenge we have when we're actually going through resistance training as opposed to suspension or bodyweight training. When you're going through suspension or bodyweight training, yes, you are learning how your body is moving. With the suspension training, amazing tool for you to be able to learn how to move with different muscles in different force vectors. Force vectors, we're talking vectors, guys. Vectors, geek, dork. All it means is we're changing how the body is interacting in space and how those muscles have to work together to be able to create the proximal stiffness to get distal motion. That doesn't mean that we're making you necessarily stronger. It means we're making the body more resilient to deal with different types of forces that are acting on it. This is where we get, you know, I talk about anti-rotation all the time, but at a certain point, when you learn how to get great anti-rotation, we introduce, guess what? Dun-da-dun, rotation. This is another place where suspension or bodyweight training can be fantastic, but they still don't count as strength training because you don't have the resistance. However, things like sandbag training, banded training, do count as resistance training because you do have a resistance or an external force acting on the body. So this is the big overview. Now let's get into a little bit of the details. We've already talked about, and you've heard a million bajillion times by now, okay, three times, how the suspension and body weight training does not provide enough force on the body to allow us to actually get stronger. However, it does allow us to become more physically movement-oriented or movement-competent to be able to understand where our bodies are in space and what we need to do in order to execute a more proper way. Let's go back to the 60-day home bodyweight program for triathletes or for cyclists that I had back in April and May. And by the way, these will be posted in the coming months, uh, in the coming month, I should say, before the end of September. When this is posted, it'll be around September 1st. So by the end of September 2020, the 60-day home bodyweight program for cyclists and the 60-day home bodyweight program for triathletes will be available over on the Train Heroic platform uh, alongside the Strength Training for Triathlon Performance program, our team. So the team, by the way, is ongoing. We have live chat. We have lots of stuff going on. Uh, quick plug for that. It's a dollar a day. Uh, and that is super cheap because you are getting true top-level training, strength training for triathlon performance. Uh, and if you want to experience for yourself how we move from bodyweight training over 
to resistance training and allowing you to see results with just one kettlebell and a pair of super bands and a door anchor at home, uh, join that program. It's a dollar a day, 30 bucks a month, or if you want to save 60 bucks, you can sign up for the year up front. It is fresh programming. It's going to be written every week, so you are going to have up-to-date live programming. I'm not taking something I did three years ago and then reselling it and then having it be outdated. This is true live coaching, so you're going to have a chat and be able to talk with other people from around the world, other triathletes who are going through this program as well. The best part, if you are going through the first two to three years of your strength training journey as a triathlete, the program will work for you regardless of your distance. Now, once you get through that general physical preparation, that was episode 56, by the way, which you can check general physical preparation versus strength training for performance. And now I know it's strength training for triathlon performance, but that's what's beautiful about this program is it is a a designed general physical preparation program at the beginning, and it develops into a performance program as we get into the season because we've done the heavy lifting, no pun intended, and you're able to actually go through and see the results. Now, when we go through the suspension training and the body weight training in that program, or the 60-day home body weight program, let's just stick with the 60-day home body weight program. I'm going off my, I, I put down my notes for a second. Don't ever do that. There's a course, there's a, a program outline for a reason. <laughs> so we stay on topic here on the podcast. So the 60-day home body weight program, what we did is we started off with a few basic movements that everybody knows how to do. Squats, hip lifts, some planks, and a couple other things here and there. That's what we started with. But we started with tempo. If I'm not mistaken, we started with 2020. Now, I didn't put in the notes and I'm not going to open the computer, but run with it. 2020 squats, body weight. Don't need anything. Pretty simple, right? One Mississippi, two Mississippi on the way down, one Mississippi, two Mississippi on the way up. Well, when you actually get into it and you start to push a little bit and you start to see sets of 12 or 15, it gets a little bit difficult. In one of the other programs, we started with an isometric hold for a squat for 30 seconds at the bottom, and then going into 12 to 15 bodyweight squats. Guess what? When you hold the bottom of a squat and you're holding tension, not hanging out down there on your joints or on your ligaments or on your tendons, where you're actually firing the muscles for 30 seconds, and then you have to go through the work and work the motion, that's a lot of work. We've created metabolic stress, and then we've created movement through that. So what we are doing is teaching your body how to move with different types of resistance being used. No, we're not. Oh, that's strength training. So what is the body weight training? If you're holding for 30 seconds at the bottom and then doing squats, that's resistance, isn't it? No, we're using metabolic stress. What we're doing is we're trying to teach and the, the body of the athlete to use those muscles after some metabolic stress where they're fatigued because the energy systems, the localized energy systems of those specific muscles are tired because we've used up their capacity. We're trying to teach them how to move properly and work in coordination with the surrounding muscles in order to get good quality movement. This is where it's fun to watch the first two to three weeks because what happens is people go from, oh, this looked pretty easy and it was a little bit difficult. And then week two, we bump up the uh, total number. They're like, wow, that was really challenging. I was actually kind of sore after that. And I really struggled with set number three to week number three of, hey, actually this felt pretty good this week and my squats look a lot better. I looked at the video that I took and uploaded and that actually looks really nice. It looks way better than the first week. Thanks. Why is this working? The body weight training, we're going to stick with the body weight. The body weight training is working because 
we're cueing you in the program with very specific cues that are going to help you clean up the common movement issues for cyclists or triathletes. That's why there's the cycling program and a triathlon program. Now, some triathletes will certainly benefit from like the 12-week home strength training program, which has two kettlebells and two bands needed. But really, we want them into our triathlon program, and that's why we started the team. Da -da -da, sales pitch. We're going to skip that one. <laughs> I don't like doing sales that much. I just like talking shop, man. Can you tell I love what I do? Now, when we get into the actual uh, workings of the bodyweight program and why a lot of cyclists or triathletes find that they feel like they're getting a good strength workout is usually because you're doing higher repetitions, lower weights. So you're thinking, oh, well, I'm getting endurance training and I'm able to improve myself on the bike. And now my legs feel stronger, so I'm able to actually move better. Well, kind of, but not really. Remember those three mechanisms for muscle growth, time under tension, mechanical tension, and metabolic stress? You've just done metabolic stress and maybe time under tension if you're using some type of tempo. And that's exactly what we're doing in the 60-day home body weight program, is we're just working on metabolic stress, getting you to move better, and being able to feel the muscles that aren't working well, and giving you a sequenced program to help you be able to better refine your movement patterns to allow you to be able to move better. You know, some people call it functional training. Well, what's the function conjunction junction? See what I did there? <laughs> Such a nerd. <laughs> the reason why we're looking for the function here is we want to see which muscles are overly strong metabolically versus those that are actually strong in proper alignment with those around them. That's all the bodyweight programs do. Now, the reason I think that bodyweight programs are so popular is because a lot of cyclists and triathletes are still petrified on putting on extra weight. Now, this is something that's very hard to do, especially if you're riding enough. And really, there was a study done, I think, 2018, 2019, that showed that if you are an endurance athlete and you are doing your endurance sport for at least, uh, I think, five or five and a half hours a week, which is what we should be doing, it's extremely hard to put on muscle mass. Whereas those cyclists or triathletes, and we all know at least one, who hit the weight room and don't do any on-bike training, and then you see them... You don't see them in, let's say, October 1st until February 1st. You don't see them. And then all of a sudden, March 1st, you see them out on the road and you're like, whoa, they got jacked. What is going on? The reason why you see this is because they're not doing enough endurance sport training and placing those specific demands on the body in order to see those results. Do you kind of follow what we're doing here? If you're not doing endurance sports enough, your body's not going to continue down the path of doing those resistance uh, or doing those adaptations because you're not applying, you're now applying more resistance training than endurance training, which means the body's going to say, oh, well, resistance is important and we need bigger muscles, more cross section. So we're going to see a muscle mass gain. And this is where we're going to kind of wrap things up for today. When you go into the gym and you do actual resistance training, it's not the weight on the bar that matters. It's how you're getting that movement. And this is where a lot of uh, cyclists and triathletes and their coaches tend to go wrong, is that you're loading the body too much with the resistance training, so, or you're following a bodybuilder approach to strength training. Now, for some time of year, now granted, we have the hypertrophy phase, which is right after the anatomical adaptation phase, but we're not looking for hypertrophy as in muscle size. We're looking for the muscle density to get better. So I have an athlete who's in Harrisburg to remain nameless, although unless you know him and he's been dropping you and stealing all the Strava KOMs this summer. Can't say his name. People get upset. 
because he's not taking his racing seriously and he's just focused on the process and asking questions and just doing the work of two to three days a week of hard strength training. I can't even say his name. Guess what? He is the leanest he has been ever. And I've worked with him uh, over a decade ago. He was one of the really fast guys in one of the collegiate uh, cycling conferences and qualified for nationals on one of the better teams in the conference. So it wasn't just like, oh, well, he's the best on the team and got enough points to go. No, no, he was legit, is legit. He's going out and crushing it because he's focused on the process. He's not worried about the weight on the bar. And as we go through his training program, he's like, man, I am just feeling amazing on the bike. We did a deload week uh, where he actually took five days off. And he's like, man, I'm flying. This was amazing to take the time off of uh, the weights. And then we start the weights up again. He's like, holy crap, I'm so sore. And they weren't heavy weights. We're talking about 16 kilo kettlebells. It's 35 pounds we're using. We're using a little bit of TRX. And we're just using time under tension. And we're using the type of strength we're trying to develop. That's all we're doing in his training plan. And if you were to look at it on paper, you go, oh yeah, this looks you know kind of basic. But what happens is, is because we're training the specific properties we want, and this is the part of sports specificity that gets bastardized all the time. Well, I'm a cyclist. I need squats and lunges and hamstring curls and planks and planks and planks and planks and planks and you get planks. Jaeger bombs, Jaeger bombs. Sorry, I took that a little bit too far. <laughs> Having a little bit fun tonight. But really what sports specificity or specific adaptation to impose demands means is what I'm talking about here is when this cyclist is doing his strength training, we're going after the specific strength properties that we're looking for, for that time of year for him. For most cyclists, the least or furthest from specific adaptations to impose demands that you could be are squats and leg presses and hamstring curls and planks and planks and planks and Jaeger bombs because you're not getting the results you want. Please don't do Jaeger bombs. Just not a good idea ever, ever. Unless you're in college, in which case, still a bad idea. You're just too, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> but as we go through, in all seriousness, the body weight training, as you heard, for the 60-day program and the suspension training. We didn't get into the suspension training because they both kind of fall under the same things with the asterisk of suspension training has different vectors and a little bit more instability. But really what we're looking for with the body weight training is to learn your body, apply metabolic stress, learn how to move better. So one last example is I had somebody in today uh, who had never done a proper deadlift before. She could squat, she could push up, actually pretty well. <laughs> she was actually really able to, to push up, almost do a pull-up that ha looked half decent. Uh, this is a female, so those of you who understand the female anatomy and how the shoulder girdle works, this is an impressive feat uh, that she had done next to no push-up or pull-up training and was able to do these, but she had done a lot of rowing. Uh, and she understood the mechanics of how to row. So her shoulder blades were stable and she was able to get a half decent looking pull up without ever trying them. I was like, hey, can you do a pull up? She's like, I don't think so. I'm like, well, you said you do rowing. Go ahead and jump up there. Give it a shot. Boom. You should see some of the guys in the gym like, what? Did you see that? Um, so really, the point of this is, is that the TRX allows you to work the body with instability, right, and different types of vectors, which can certainly serve a purpose. However, too many people are too fast to jump forward to that. I would strongly recommend, if you're a coach looking at strength training, number one, think of 
bodyweight training as a way to teach the athlete how to move, a way to apply a different type of metabolic stress, but you're going to have to do some reading. You can take either of my courses on Training Peak, Strength Training for Cycling Success, Strength Training for Triathlon Success, or if you want to sign up for the Strength Training for Cycling Certification, which will open here in October 2020, uh, and then again next spring, and then again the fall after. So we open it every fall and spring so that we can update it and make it better. Yes, it really does happen. Uh, essentially what you're doing for the metabolic is you're just getting the athlete to learn how to move better. So just giving someone 40 squats and 40 lunges and 40 hip ridges isn't going to be enough. You need to look at how they're moving. How are they producing that force? Are they able to resist rotation? Are they able to provide trunk stability? These are the things we're looking for out of body weight training, out of suspension training. We're going to look for a little bit more of a coordination of can they resist the type of forces that are acting on the body while they're holding onto the TRX. And sometimes we hold on to the TRX, like an overhead uh, Y squat. We're just holding overhead so that we're able to activate the mid back and see if the athlete can keep their ribs down and the full 360 degree uh, muscles of the lower back and the midsection firing as they go through. That's all we're doing. We're just changing the force vector and how those muscles have to act as opposed to having them do a goblet squat. Why? Because the goblet squat is already adding resistance to the body. That's going to change the results we're going to see. Whereas with the suspension trainer, with the overhead Y squats, you're going to be able to see, can this athlete provide spinal stability or are they going to be able to provide proximal stiffness to get distal motion? I'm sure you're sick and tired of hearing that. And it depends here on the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete podcast, but that's how it rolls. It really is that simple. It depends except for our suspension or bodyweight training, strength training. No. However, they do allow us to teach the body how to move a little bit better, as well as give us low-level opportunities, low-risk-level opportunities to help an athlete to learn how to better move, how to better coordinate their efforts, and how they can get their mind out of their sport and do something else that isn't going to put them at a high risk for injury. Suspension training just changes the vectors, and that's it. That really is it. It really is that simple. So we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we had scripted for 45 minutes. We're at 40. Yes, we crushed it. All right. Now, we're going to wrap up here with a couple important things. Number one, again, if you're a coach who is looking or beginning in your strength training uh, practice, my comment about there are coaches out there who should not be doing or giving strength training programs, this doesn't apply to you. You're beginning. You are studying this. I learned from my failures. I put them out there. I share them with you guys. I talked about the first three female, uh, the first two female cyclists and triathlete I had. I failed them big time. They weren't getting better. They actually got worse under me for about nine months. Thankfully, I was quick to recognize it and be able to turn it around. But that's how we learn. I am talking to those coaches who want to do cycling, want to do triathlon. They read uh, one or two books. And I include my book in this, by the way. If you just read my book, that doesn't mean that you should go out and start training people. There's a certification course for a reason. The book is for the average person who wants to try on their own bodies. If you're a coach, try it out on your own. Read a couple other books. We've had lots of other authors on here. Tone of Gentle Core is a great resource for you. Uh, there's a number of others that have been on this podcast that you should look for in order to better understand the forces. Stuart McGill, Dr. McGill, check his stuff out. The Back Mechanic. I don't think Tony has a formal book, but he has tons of blogs for you to read through. And his blog is really good. Eric Cressy is another person to look at. Granted, he's in baseball. He talks a lot about baseball specifics. When you look at Eric Cressy's posts, 
start thinking about what I'm posting and cycling and triathlon. And think about the level of depth. Now, I don't go as technical as Eric does right now because a lot of you are just beginning this journey. So if you really want to get an idea of to where the blog is going here and where my writing is going, uh, look at Eric Cressy's early, early posts back in 2004, 2005, right when the interwebs were just uh, sprouting off of their, after the fields were burned in the early 2000s. He does a fantastic job of bringing you on the journey of growing you and giving you more knowledge as you go along. Now, I don't know if I'm ever going to get as technical as Eric with his writing, just because it's not necessarily my style. Now, if we meet in person, I might do that. I talk your ear off and give you all the technicals, but I don't like writing that way because it's just dry to me. However, here on the podcast, we do get into details. As you heard today, we went down a couple different rabbit holes. So if you're a coach starting in strength training or you're interested, first start with yourself. And if you'd like to start with an athlete or two, be honest with them. Say, hey, I'm new at this, but would you like to kind of work with me and see if this works? Like we're going to try some stuff together and we'll fail, we'll succeed, but let's do it together. And this is new. If you are not interested in studying strength training, and when I say studying, you should be reading at least four to six books a year about strength training or whatever topic it is that you say that you're studying. Four to six is light, but I know a lot of us don't have more than you know 30 minutes a day, or we don't want to make the time of more than 30 minutes a day. Uh, right now with my life, I'm reading the 30 minutes right before bed. And I actually retain a lot more now that I think about it. So that's number one. Number two, if you are interested in the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification course and you really want to get to know what you're doing, the why, the progressions, you want to have a deeper knowledge, you want to see the assessments, the on-bike, the off-bike, how we do things, how we mentally prepare the athlete, how we mentally coach the athlete, go ahead and sign up for the Strength Training for Cyclist Certification Insiders list, which will save you $200 when it opens for enrollment here in October or again in March. March or this spring and fall, whenever you're listening to this podcast. Number three, as you go through the next couple of weeks, just because today we talked about how suspension and bodyweight training is not strength training does not mean that it does not serve a purpose. When this podcast is posted, it's going to be late August, early September, which means it's now fall. You've had a very long season of riding. Now is a good time to include some bodyweight training. Now is a good time to possibly add some suspension training within reason. Don't go crazy and look for the most complex and hard exercises that you can find. No, no, no. We want simple, low-hanging fruit, simple, basic movements of the fundamental 5 plus 1, push, pull, squat, hinge, press, rotary stability to allow you to be able to move cleaner, move better, understand and identify the weaknesses and the imbalances that you have, what muscles are working when they're not supposed to work, what muscles are working extremely well the whole time, and what are your weak points. Spend two and a half, three weeks going through a very light, not-so-serious, playful training regimen. This can include playing other sports. Sports to be careful with if you're a cyclist alone and not doing any type of impact or intensity stuff would be racquetball, squash, tennis, and running. These are things that a lot of cyclists say, oh, well, I'm just going to try this, and then they wind up doing a little bit more damage because you have a great engine, but the structures, the wheels on the car are bald, the brakes don't work, the steering is kind of loose and goes out occasionally, the gearbox doesn't shift. That's what happens for you when you drive a car that isn't really up to it, but it has a Maserati engine in it. Maybe Maserati's trash. I don't know. They seem like nice cars. But when you get into a car with a really nice engine, but the rest of the stuff doesn't really work, you wind up pressing the gas pedal and then you hang on for dear life because things can go wrong. What's that? That's the left rear tire? Oh, we're skidding. Oh, there's a telephone pole. God forbid. We don't want that to happen. Same thing for your running or for these other high intensity 
exercise efforts. Some people actually written, wrote me and said, hey, should I play basketball? You're a basketball and cycling coach. So should we do basketball? That seems like a really great idea as a cyclist. Nope. It's an overhead sport, which you have no strength or control of the shoulder blades, and you don't do any running. So do not do basketball, at least not playing like that, not at the beginning of your transition period or your quote-unquote off-season, maybe in the middle or the end, but first let's focus on getting the body to to be able to function and move a little bit better like it can. All right, we're going to wrap up here. One last time, the Strength Training for Triathlon Performance Program is launched as of September 1st, 2020. It's a Strength Training for Triathlon team, excuse me, and this is a dollar a day. You're getting fresh training every single week, which is going to gear you for triathlon performance. All you need are a pair of Superbands, a door anchor, and one kettlebell, possibly two if, and if you'd like, and your body weight and some space at home that's roughly your height and your arm width. That is all you need. If you would like to see strength training result in performance gains for your triathlon pursuit, regardless of the distance, this is a program for you, unless you have been strength training consistently year-round for at least the last 18 months. If that's the case, this is not the program for you. If you are an Ironman distance triathlete who has done serious training in the past, this is not the program for you. And when I say serious strength training in the past, we're talking the last two to three years, at least four to five months of regular in the gym or at home, uh, moderate to heavy weights. This is not the program for you. If this is not you, then this program is for you. The Department of Redundancy Department. That was very, I did not write that well. <laughs> well, we're going to end there. I'm having a little bit of fun, and that means I can start to ramble. So we're going to wrap up today's episode. If you found this episode to be useful in helping you understand how strength training is different from body weight or suspension training, but how those two still serve their purpose in your training arsenal, go ahead and hit the like button. Give a share to three other people that you think need to hear this podcast and make sure you're subscribing down below. Until next time, remember, train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you. That's it for this episode of the Strong Savvy Cyclist and Triathlete Podcast with world-leading strength coach for cyclists and triathletes, Menachem Brody. Don't miss an episode. Hit that subscribe button and give us a review. For more exclusive content, visit humanvortextraining.com or get the latest expert videos from Coach Brody on the HVT YouTube channel at HB Training. Until next time, remember to train smarter, not harder, because it is all about you.